From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF and welcome back, Heather Knight. Hey, always good to be here. We have Erica Messner and Amanda Leggy here today. They're co-founders of the new magazine, The San Franciscan, and I like their moxie. Um, they're Total SF kind of people, Heather. They really are. They um, both work full-time, but decided at a book club meeting that they were going to start a new magazine based heavily on The New Yorker, but with a very strong San Francisco vibe. And I just wanted to read their mission statement, which is kind of total SFE. Um, the San Franciscan is a fiercely independent magazine that celebrates the diverse subcultures of San Francisco and the Bay Area through humor and criticism, but always with utmost sincerity and pride. So I think that's what we aim to do as well. So kind of kindred spirits. Great conversation. They talk about how they met. It was uh, in a book club. Good things happen <laughs> in a book club, Heather. They do. And uh, they talk about getting the magazine off the ground, which I thought was going to be complicated. It was like way more complicated than I even imagined. Yeah, I wouldn't want to tackle that. And the surprisingly positive exchange they had with the New Yorkers intellectual property lawyers. <laughs> they borrowed heavily from the New Yorker, but it sounded like the New Yorker was pretty cool. New Yorker was very cool. Um, I want to subscribe to the New Yorker now just because they were so cool to the San Franciscan. The San Franciscan is gorgeous, and it's available at local bookstores. Green Apple Books in San Francisco. I got mine at Pegasus Books in Oakland, Heather. I got mine at Bird and Beckett in Glen Park. I also noticed on their list that Book Passage in the Ferry Building sells it. So there's a strong overlap between independent bookstores on our 49-mile scenic route and those that sell to San Francisco. Way to get the plug in, Heather. (laughs) Always plugging. I'm Peter Hartlob. I'm Heather Knight. And this is Total SF. Welcome back to the Chronicle, Heather Knight. Hello, it's good to be back. And welcome for the first time to the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Franciscan co-founders, Amanda Leggy and Erica Messner. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank it you is for- fantastic to have you here. I am so into this magazine. Um, I got it at Pegasus Books in Oakland and had been hearing about it and was not disappointed. Um, but I'm super, super excited because somebody in San Francisco is so excited about the city that they would just start a magazine. And I kind of wanted to start there. I mean, um, did this come from a love of San Francisco or a love of magazines or something else? I would say uh, a little bit of both. I think love for San Francisco for sure. For San, a love for San Francisco for sure. Um, but also, you can probably tell, but we're huge New Yorker fans. Um, so kind of taking a little inspiration from that and really capturing the arts and culture that I feel like doesn't really get much coverage here in the city. And there's so much good stuff happening. So really wanted to share that. We'll, we'll get to the intellectual property part of the conversation <laughs> later, whatever conversation you had with the New Yorker. Um, but uh, did you guys know each other long? What, what's kind of the background on you two? Yeah, so we originally met in a book club we were both members of maybe four or five years ago. Still going, actually. Yep. Um, and we became friends quickly and bonded over literature and fiction and discussing and having intellectual conversations. 
Um, I think originally our book club was a lot of women new to the city that were looking to make a connection and that you know inspired our friendship kind of in a similar way um, as the magazine. I love book clubs. I've been running one for 20 years. Wow. So just side note, what is your best recommendation for a book club? I would say uh, The Mothers was uh-huh. one of my favorite. I was going to say that. Bennett. Oh, mm-hmm. Sorry, stole yours. <laughs> um, and then I really liked uh, My Brilliant Friend. Oh, yes, we did. Classic, yeah. Not The Mothers, so I'll write that down. Yeah, my wife's in like 14 book clubs. <laughs> I know. She's always talking she's about a, her She's a librarian. Book. She's a high school librarian. And I always accuse her like of... Um, not reading the book because there are some book clubs that she has where they really studiously read the books but she has other ones where she's just going with a bottle of wine yeah it's really a wine club but this was not a wine book club this is a book book club Uh, it was a combo wine book club (laughs) did you guys hit it off did you have kind of common interests were there things that um right away kind of caused you to bond a little bit I mean, I would say yes, but I would definitely say that Erica is a little bit more introverted than me. Mm-hmm. So I think it maybe took her a little bit longer to warm up. I think I'm <coughs> very like, oh, hey, cool, new friend. Uh, let's hang out. Um, but luckily, I think yeah. after a couple regular meetings, I think kind of the friendship flourished. Yeah, I think I always admired Amanda a lot. And she's someone who like, you have an idea and she'll make it real before you finish your sentence. Um, and I thought that was really cool about her and it was really excited to see that in action in the magazine. Yeah, and I think uh, one more thing to add is uh, Erica is always super quiet. And you know those, like when people are quiet, you're like, okay, that person's really smart. And then whenever they say something, you're like, oh my God, it, that was gold. Like that was- They said something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I felt about Erica, like super intellectual and smart. Mm-hmm. And so how long have you both lived in the city? Six years. But I grew up in the Bay Area. Okay. Whereabouts? Los Altos Uh in South Bay. And how about you? I grew up in Seattle area, and I moved here to Berkeley about six or seven years ago. Um, And then I moved to San Francisco one year after that. Yeah. Did you guys have like a moment where you just decided, I'm all in on San Francisco? Because I'm reading your magazine, and it reads like, it's coming from two people who have committed to this city. And I'm wondering like at what point you kind of fell in love with it. Oof, that's a good question. I feel like growing up in the Bay Area, like a lot of a lot of my high school field trips were up here to the Federal Reserve. We had prom on like a boat mm-hmm. out in this on the city, you know, in the, on the bay. So I feel like the I've horn blower. Exactly. That's the one. <laughs> it's the prom boat. <laughs> yeah. So I I I've always felt a connection to the city and I kind of always knew I was going to live here just because it's so close. It's the closest big city to my hometown. Um, my brother's here living in the city also. So I just feel like all my friends and family are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you guys would be older because it seemed like this is, <laughs> don't you think from reading the magazine that it seemed like people who had lived here a lot longer? I didn't know, but um, I have to say like reading the magazine, I don't get an age from the magazine. So, but just to be so invested that you would create a magazine about a place. Yeah. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. impressive. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. When did the idea for the magazine first come up? Because I don't, I, I think of like starting a magazine from scratch. First, I think that's impossible. Um, you've done it, so it's not. But I also think that's also very expensive. There are hurdles. What was like the very first seed of this idea for you guys? So uh, kind of a a combo of things. Um, A friend of mine actually, uh, after I got married, got me a subscription to The New Yorker. 
And after starting to read it, I was like, oh my God, the writing is so good. Can like, you keep up with it? Because I couldn't. No, so that's a thing. I kind of think we have an advantage by being biannual. Yeah. Because like I could like, definitely keep up with the San Francisco. Exactly. <laughs> so like that's that's kind of what we were going for. Sometimes I feel like I can only read like one article and then the next one's out and I'm like, oh, now I feel stressed out about yeah. my like reading. Yeah. Yeah. I think the New Yorker is a very aspirational publication. <laughs> you know, you kind of buy it to put on your coffee table and read it and feel like you're a certain kind of person. And I think we're an aspirational publication in a different way because of the stories we tell um, and kind of the people we look up to that we've met in San Francisco. Totally. But I think uh, a lot of people had that comment about like, who, like, I can't believe you guys actually did this. Like, did you know how much work it was going to be? And I was like, um, no, I think that's why, that's why we did it. <laughs> so what was the very first conversation like? So I think two mm. things. Uh, one, one of them was, uh, as I was reading The New Yorker, I was like, yeah, I think this happens to everybody when they start reading it. But I was like, I really want to get published in The New Yorker, which is like insane. It's like, what, 0.00001% of the population. Um, but I actually made a cartoon and I submitted it to The New Yorker. And I was like, OK. If this doesn't get published, then like we're going to start our own magazine and, and publish it there. I'll show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll show them. <laughs> so uh, it's actually featured in issue one. Um, so it did not make the New York. It didn't. No, I got I, I saved the rejection email. Pretty sad. And it took like six months to get rejected, which is the worst kind of rejection. <laughs> but that's great. It's the greatest kind of rejection because San Francisco, we got a magazine out of it. Yeah. So. Totally. That's, that's a true. win. Yeah, our first conversation, we were sitting in a bar in Potrero, kind of on their back balcony looking out at the city. Um, and I think it really kicked off and became real for me when we started making a list of people that could potentially contribute. And that made me reflect on how many creative artists and writers I knew in the city just from my short time being here. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, and I think people realize, really realized that it was real when, when they saw a kind of concept cover and the logo and they're like, oh, uh, this magazine's real. And we're like, yeah, it's real. Like, <laughs> you better contribute. <laughs> so logistically, once you had the idea and had authors, then how did you actually make it into a magazine we can hold? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think definitely Erica handled all the, the editing, um, which I think was actually even harder for issue one because it was friends and family, some of whom like don't have very much writing experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, first conversations about story ideas, potential things we could cover, I really encouraged writers to, to write about things that were personal to them. I think one of the special things about the magazine is that you get kind of close up to these stories and people are putting themselves in the story as they're telling it. Um, and that's one of our goals also, to sort of bring the city a little bit closer together through the stories mm -hmm. we're telling. So you guys seem to get along really well. What was it like creating this magazine? Did things get tense? What were kind of the hardest parts for you as you were putting this together? I actually don't feel like I got stressed <laughs> out really. Um, maybe maybe more of the like man, like product management type stuff where it was like coordinating with the writers and artists that were not paying. So we're kind of like, hey, can you get it to me by Friday? Because we have a lot of other things that are like dependent on this. Um, it was, I think it was more striking the balance of like being friendly and still encouraging people to like give things on time so that we could print mm -hmm. on time and have a party. So um, nobody made any money? Nobody made any money, uh, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, uh, this was very much like self-funded, uh -huh. like hobby project. Um, and I think now we're getting to the point where we're, I think, about to break even. So it's definitely one of our goals to be able to pay people mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. I notice you, you don't have advertising. Um, it's uh, all writing. I, I 
went through, I'll just tell you a few of my favorites. I really liked the Zodiac, uh, Inkblot's Riddles and Rabbit Holes by mm. Charles Russo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is it, which is talking about the Zodiac case, but not in the typical way. It's more of like talking about the history and what that means. And um, I love the part about, um, it's kind of a callback about uh, people who think their dad is the Zodiac, because that's my generation. <laughs> like at one point, all of us were like, my dad might be the Zodiac, he kind of fits together. <laughs> Um, you have a uh, uh, fantastic fiction underwater by Andrew Combs. I enjoyed the Sutro cartoon by Armando uh, Shavira. Shavira, yeah. Shavira, and and then my favorite part um, was the cover, and it took me until after I even invited you on the podcast, where I'm like, well, I better write down and ask them about who the artist is for that fantastic cover, which I initially thought was a photo, and then realized it's not a photo I don't believe and then I looked who did the cover and it was yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah I, I I did the cover um oh. Amanda yeah <laughs> yep. I thought it was a photo it's not yeah a lot yeah. of people think it's a photo um I think that silhouette kind of characteristic with the kind of like sunset sky in the background definitely it's hard to tell it's hard to tell you should sell this as posters and then you could definitely pay your writers because people are really into sutra tower yeah that's what we've noticed actually we didn't even realize that (laughs) that's been a joy to discover (laughs) and we kind of have a couple like sutra themed things like you kind of alluded to throughout the magazine which like has really struck a chord with people Cool. You could just do a Sutro magazine. You could do an entire Sutro issue and no one would complain. Totally. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Were you thinking a lot about the mix in terms of, I mean, you have a little bit of fiction in there. You have, um, you know, some reporting. You have uh, a lot of uh, people just, just storytelling and then a lot of artwork. Um, was that kind of the plan from the beginning or was it shaped more by what you were getting from, from people you knew? I would say we we always knew we wanted it to be a combo artwork writing mm-hmm. uh, type magazine. Um, I think in the first issue it was more about like talking to friends and family and being like, "Hey, you're gonna do this. We have this story that we think would be really good." Uh, and then in this second one, it's been really awesome because we've actually had people reach out to us about wanting to contribute. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, Charlie, who you mentioned, walked into Books on the Park and saw the first issue, bought it, and reached out. Um, and he's such an amazing writer and storyteller, and I really am proud of that piece as well. And I think like making those kinds of connections has been a really cool mm-hmm. part of this. When does the next one come out? We're hoping July. Cool. Yeah, I think Erica is a little more <laughs> optimistic yeah, <laughs> yeah. than me. <laughs> but because my part is really like after all the writing is done, then I need to like format the magazine, like do everything in InDesign, mm-hmm. send it off to the printers. So I, I tend to be a little less uh, mm-hmm. optimistic. Do you know what the cover is <laughs> going to be for that one? Ooh, it's tough. So actually, uh, it, to kind of get buy-in for the first issue, I challenged myself to do monthly covers. So I actually did a cover for like November, December, January, February, March, April. So they were supposed to be really representative of the month. So it kind of depends on which month we publish in, I think, uh-huh. like wow. the, the events. Mm-hmm. At what point do you realize we need to have a conversation with the New Yorker? At the point yeah. when the legal team emails us. <laughs> yeah. So they reached out to you. They did, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I, I think it, it was it was very amicable, though. Um, like you can see here in the, the first issue, the logo is very much like the New Yorker font sort of style, but written out as the San Franciscan. 
Um, so they reached out to us and su- super friendly. Um, they were like, hey, you know, we see that you respect The New Yorker. Actually, Erica had put a kind of like PS call out in her first editor's letter that said like, PS, like anything reminiscent of a popular weekly magazine <laughs> like is, yeah. you can you can read it word for word, Erica. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Any similarities to a certain well-known weekly are purely coincidental and result from sincere admiration, close study, and some fancy graphic design tricks. So they, they noticed that. Exactly. <laughs> so they called that out and they're like, look, we see that this was the intention was not to like rip us off and that you really respect us. And we do. We really do. Um, so they asked us to change the logo and they were like, to to be uh, straight, we don't want we don't need you to change the name, just the logo and the mm-hmm. style. So um, and they actually gave Erica uh, a yearly subscription. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. As like a thanks for doing so this with only the logo had to change. Yeah. Wow. So that's because the inside looks very similar. Also. Yeah, it's it's a different font, but definitely very similar, like twenties twenties style. Mm-hmm. Do you do you realize that this is like the nicest um, exchange anybody in the history of magazines has probably had with an intellectual property lawyer? I mean, that is super chill and cool of the New Yorker. Yes, yeah, yeah. kind of like increased our respect even more that it was like, hey. You know, you must understand, like, it took us a long time to build this reputation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, totally. We totally get it. Yeah. yeah. So how do you market it? Um, how do you market it? What's that first kind of couple of weeks like when you're wondering if ev- people are even going to pick this thing up? Mm, yeah. So the very first day, it came in the mail. And then the very next day, we went out to local bookstores. Um, the first store that we walked into maybe last summer with the first issue was Alley Cat, and we weren't sure what was going to happen, but we took out the magazine, we showed it to them, we said, we made this, it's about San Francisco, we described it, um, and they purchased them right from there, mm-hmm. and I think seeing their enthusiasm for what we were creating was really encouraging, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of just did that in just about every other bookstore in the city, so I think we're in maybe 25 or 30 bookstores um, now and when the when the second issue first came out, I spent probably eight hours driving around San Francisco, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dropping it off at bookstores. So. I noticed a lot of overlap between bookstores that sell this and bookstores um, that are on our forty nine mile scenic route: Green Apple mm, Books, Bird yeah. and Beckett Books, and Glen Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the independent bookstore scene here is amazing. They're yeah. so supportive of local authors and creators. Yeah. It's really um, cool to get to see that. Do you remember, now I'm sure your friends and family and the people who wrote articles knew this was coming out. Do you remember the first time you heard from someone just who you had never heard of before and had discovered it kind of randomly? Yeah, we had a a couple people reach out um, via email being like, hey, we saw this. Uh, We even had, I remember there was one guy who reached out and he was like, hey, I just bought the magazine. I bought like one for like keeping like my archives and one to read. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like we're famous. You know, somebody (laughs) bought two of these. Um, And and I think, uh, yeah, what else? Just a bunch of people that wanted to contribute, which was so cool. It was like, wow, the second issue is already coming together based on people reaching out to us Mm -hmm. that was really really cool yeah Yeah. that's what really feels good about it is when people read the whole thing and then want to be a part of it at first it was friends and family but then when people saw it in the bookstores um actually there was a a reddit post that kind of Mm. blew up and Uh, that that triggered the sellout of the first issue what did it say so it was it was (laughs) a picture of me holding the magazine being like 
I made a magazine <laughs> and it, it blew up. I actually like went on vacation to Spain. I remember I posted it right before I got on the plane. I was like, oops, sorry, Erica. Like you're gonna have to like go drop off more magazines yeah. at all the bookstores. <laughs> Are you going to be printing even more for next time? That's the plan. So far, we've like increased copies with each issue. So we're hoping to see, you know, how many how many we can print and and sell. I just love that it's this um, very traditional paper thing. And the way that I heard about it was, um, I think Rollover Easy was talking about it. That's internet radio, and it was all over social media. And it's kind of like you've got this traditional thing, but it's being driven by. 21st century tools, which is a nice little merger of the two. Totally. And that's yeah. all, all props to Erica. She's too modest to say this, but she manages the, the social media accounts and is like mm, crushing yeah. it. I love Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting to see the response. I think the way people hear about new things these days is through like a trusted source of recommendation. And that often happens on social media. Um, and it's a different experience than walking into the bookstore and buying a print copy, and I think we're kind of trying both of those strategies um, to reach diverse audience. Cool. I saw you have a launch coming up. Yeah. I feel like you've launched like a few times. Yeah. But, um, well, hey, we're going to milk it. You know, we'll do, do a party for every for every issue. <laughs> well, we should do that for the Chronicle. Every yeah. day we'll have a party. Yeah. <laughs> um, w- what's coming up? Is that open to the public? It is, yeah. I think there's only like 10 tickets left, though. So. Okay. Yeah, this Saturday is our release party, which... Might be after. Yeah, March 7th um, at General Assembly, but they have to go on your site and get tickets. Exactly. Yeah, very good. Well, congratulations. Um, lightning round time, All Heather. Right. Are you guys ready? You guys ready for my famous lightning round? Ooh, about okay. I don't think we warned you about this. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> so. We like to spring it on people. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can go back and forth. Okay. Um, name your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito. I'm a vegan, so I would say Papalote. They have some really good vegan options. Okay. Oof, that one's tough. I feel like there's so many good ones. Um, <laughs> actually, we made a joke about this in, in the piece that we wrote, the humor piece, <laughs> yeah. um, stopping at La Taqueria and... Um, El Faro uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that way you went to both of them. Uh, so Two I feel like burritos in one day? Exactly. Wow, that's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco, Amanda? The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That is good. Mm, maybe Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Both very popular. Yeah, yes. we've been hearing more and more to Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah. I think that's like gonna be there for the long haul. For sure. Yeah. Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? <laughs> Probably my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this introvert theme is gonna come back. <laughs> I have I have a couple. It's tough to pick one, but uh, the first one that comes to mind is Devil's Acre. Okay, where's that? It's uh, on Columbus, okay. near the near the Pyramid Building. Nice. Uh, what is your favorite Muni line? And the slowest one, the, <laughs> the N. Yes. Yeah, probably the N. And least favorite might also be the N. Yeah, actually. <laughs> love, hate, love, hate. Are we allowed love, to do hate, that? Yeah. You can do that. What was the last time San Francisco pissed you off? You guys seem so upbeat. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, the election was yesterday. So <laughs> <laughs> difficult question to answer as a representative of the San Francisco magazine. That one's really tough. Uh, this wasn't even like pissed off. It was just like inconvenient. When I, I wanted to to grab a coffee uh, in North Beach, um, and I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of it now, but uh, this really famous like traditional coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And I went in. Cafe Trieste? That's the one. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like, why am I blanking on the name? Uh, 
and I really wanted to go there, but I didn't have any cash. And then I saw it was cash only, and I was like, damn it, I really <laughs> wanted to go here. <laughs> Lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Not very lightning round, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to edit out the pauses. (laughs) Molasses round. Fix it it in post. (laughs) Well, I'm a big runner and biker. I try to do that most days. Mm -hmm. I'm like such a creature of habit. I run the same route up through the wiggle and through the panhandle like every day. Nice. Since I've lived here. And I think for me, uh, XOX truffles Mm -hmm. on Columbus and North Beach, like where you get a coffee for $1.75 and a truffle, the hardest part is just picking which flavor truffle. I like nice, it. Nice, good one. I have <laughs> one more fun fact for you. Yeah. So uh, in the first issue, my, my favorite piece is one actually that my mom wrote. Aww. It's uh, a one by, it's about Lyle Tuttle, the tattoo artist who used to have a shop on Columbus. Uh-huh. Uh, when she was studying at San Jose State University, um, like 40 years ago, she had a journalism teacher and they the teacher challenged them to Basically, like, in order to get an A in her class, they had to publish in a magazine. So she drove up to the city, tried to interview him. Uh, she didn't get a chance to because he wasn't working that day. And I was like, Mom, we're, we're starting a magazine. Like, you have to write this piece for my magazine. And she actually got to interview him. Uh, and it's actually really sad. He passed away three weeks later. But, oh. yeah, it's really sad. He was a really great guy. But that piece is, is in the first issue. Oh, wow. oh, super nice. Super nice. Well, I am super excited about the magazine looking forward to issue three um i'm gonna get through the crossword puzzle i'm not there yet but um otherwise i've read the whole thing and i think it's fantastic congratulations to both of you thank you so much thank you both You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight and our guests, Amanda Leggy and Erica Messner. Total SF is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at www.sfchronicle.com pod. <laughs>